Thank you, everybody, for gathering for our Spirit Seekers. And um, I think we all know each other. Thank you, everybody, who was trying to help me with figuring out the, uh, the screen sharing. Thank you, Dawn, and, uh, and everyone. And we'll see. Maybe I'll, I'll have a chance during it to try to uh, get the Anne's photos up there. But either way, I, I'll email you each the file afterwards. Um, we've been really enjoying the uh, Spirit Seekers. Anne is our third interview. Um, Bruce Hewitt and Susan Saunders can now be heard on our church podcast, <laughs> and uh, which you can link through the website or the newsletter. And um, so I want to get started. And so I was thinking about Anne. And I, yeah, you know, I was looking through, I've got all kinds of books. I was looking through all these things for an opening. I thought, no, I just want to say something about Anne. And um, I had a book out about, uh, it's called Just a, Just a Sister Away, Women in the Bible. And open to the Martha and Mary story. And I thought, Anne is, uh, cannot be categorized. <laughs> Anne, Anne is a Martha and she's a Mary. And uh, I just, you know, we've known each other for a long time. And I, I hear the words that just came to mind right away. Resilient, smart, faithful, imaginative, unique, my friend. <laughs> and uh, so I re just really want to thank you for being here with us and encourage you and Amy to enjoy the interview. And we are recording. So that is all good. So there you are. And Vivian. Good afternoon, everybody, and Anne, thank you very much for, um, for taking the risk and being part of our conversation, because I think the more we hear from other people about their faith journey, the more we're reminded about key, key elements and highlights of our own faith journeys. So uh, this will be just a conversation, half an hour or so, and if uh, comments or questions or other, other ideas come up for you, um, hold them for just a while because when we're finished with this initial conversation, we'll open it up and make sure that you, you can join in on the conversation and ask Anne uh, your questions. And I thought I'd start with your early days and the earliest influences you had on your faith. Did you go to church? Uh, what, what were your early days like connected with church and faith? Um, well, let's see. Uh, my parents I took to church. Um, grew up in the UCC church suburbs of Boston. Um, I have to say, uh, my strongest memories are about early church. Are going to church with my grandmother in Maine. I would often spend at least part of the summer, if not all of it, with her. Um, a uh, small village on the coast of Maine, way down east, beyond Bar Harbor, almost to the Canadian border. Um, and uh, um, it's not only the church experience there, uh, but it's uh, her faith and the, her expressions of it. Um, I have to tell you a little bit about her, actually, and maybe this will get onto another question you might have, Amy, so I'm sorry if I'm a little ahead, but I have to tell you, she was, her name was Eldusta. And we called her Grammy uh, Eldusta because if you try to say Grandma Eldusta, it's really awkward. Um, but her, she, I was very jealous of her nickname. The whole town knew her as Dusty. 
And um, I thought that was a great nickname I would have loved to have. But anyway, she was perpetually in motion, always doing stuff, uh, always working things out, always working um, and always for others. Um, she was incredibly strong and independent. If you can believe it, in the early 20th century, she was um, divorced, um, living with as a single mom, um, single parent, uh, in a very small town, probably 200 people. I just can't imagine doing that. <laughs> um, she self-supported. She did everything of, uh, from making donuts to growing flowers to eventually working in the uh, account. And she was still doing that when I knew her as my grandma. Most um, to me in terms of church experience uh, was going to church with her. Um, she was a uh, devout Christian, read the Bible every day. The first the first time at about age eight, when I asked her why were some of the letters in her Bible read, I learned about the red letter edition of the Bible where the words of Jesus are in red. So you have to understand she was a Methodist, so the actual literal words were a little bit critical. Um, I think she was a Methodist though, because the only choices were Methodist and Baptist, and she liked to, she just loved to sing, and the, ba the Methodist church was the better place for that. Um, but she read the Bible every day and, um, and tried to, to live according to her, um, what she saw there. Um, I would say that she lived, she was most clearly living an example of faith or the life of faith or a life of faith. Um, she was thoughtful. Um, she was content and always joyful. She never preached a path for others, however, so I never felt like I had to toe the line or do something in particular. Um, but I think, in a way, it taught me to think. Actually, going to church with her was wonderful. It was off the street, and uh, I knew everybody. But it was such a, I think, most importantly, it was a real contrast to my suburban church. It was very small. Uh, it was kind of um, a a uh, gauzy kind of light coming through the windows. If you can imagine an old country church has, you know, a little bit of patina to it, a little dustiness, whatever. Um, but the light coming through those windows was just special, especially the beams of light when they'd come through. Um, one of the other important things I want to say is that the minister was a woman, if you can believe that, in the 1950s in the Methodist church. Um, I presume she was not truly ordained, although she wore vestments when she preached. Um, she's very learned. She obviously been to seminary. Um, I wish I knew a little bit more about her. She was ancient at the time. Her name was Mrs. Bigelow. But what I do remember, although being so ancient and really tall, I mean, she was taller than all the men in the, that I saw with her. Um, she, uh, she was joyful and content in her life and, uh, and totally unpretentious. And so were her messages. One of the important things was I got to go and sit in the congregation with the adults. And when I went to my grandmother's church, um, I was probably six or seven uh, when I got to go to church with her. I loved the singing. I understood the message just fine. The people were at my own church which I went to every week. Um, that I went to every week. <laughs> um, 
uh, that was not the case. We never really went to the sanctuary for worship. That was for the grown-ups. And uh, uh, so this was particularly special for me. The other important thing to remember about that space is that it was very simple. And the only thing in it, uh, besides the light coming through the windows, was this gigantic, or at least to me as a, youth, as a young child, seemed really gigantic and very loud banjo clock that would tick through the whole service. And, <laughs> and it's, it probably was probably my first introduction to the idea that sacred space is not just calling it sacred. It has to do with the light and the sound and the textures and the quality of the message and everything all wraps together. Um, the music too is a part of the sound, of course. Um, that wheezy little organ I just loved singing with back then. But anyway, that's kind of my, my first introduction to thinking about worship space. So I'm just, I'm just going to do a check. Is anyone else having a little hard time hearing Anne now and then? You are. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to ask you this next question, and I'm going to go to another space where I know my internet is better. So just in case, if you see me go, go off, don't get worried, but I'm, I'll come back on. But Anne, you also told me that you grew up outside of Boston. Uh, you had this chance in the summer to be in Maine with your grandmother, which was fabulous. Mm -hmm. um, but it sounds like you you did attend a UCC church in in the Arlington area. So talk a little bit about that and how that, especially your teen years, sort of propelled you further. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was one of three congregational churches in town, one of which uh, the biggest one became Unitarian um, uh, when they rebuilt the church, they changed from the UCC to Unitarian. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the church I went to was the second largest one in town. Uh, it was white. And, uh, oh, of course, in the 1950s, the, the church school was exploding. So it had a big addition for that and uh, meeting space and stuff at the same time. Um, it was a very straightforward kind of, I think, a straightforward Christian education program for that era. Um, we did not have a youth choir per se, uh, but we did a lot of singing, so I'm not sure exactly how that all fit together. I didn't pay much attention, I guess. Um, one of my favorite memories actually is of the minister who was, um, of course, a very upright sort of guy, came to visit my mother on a pastoral call one afternoon, and uh, I greeted him upside down hanging from the tree in the front yard. and. <laughs> He actually turned around like this to talk to me <laughs> upside down. I thought that was pretty good. On a different level, somehow, be it family, a We did a lot of youth group things through that church, a lot of different uh, weekends away, things like that. No real service or anything in particular. Um, my brothers are uh, quite a bit older than I am. They did a lot of Malay back then, which I guess was a little bit more intensive than the, than the girls got a chance to do. Um, uh, by the time I was in high school, like a uh, sophomore maybe in high school, um, I, uh, I was singing in three different churches for Sundays. I had a bunch of friends and we all really liked to sing 
uh, friends from school. And so we would go around to each other's churches. The services were set up just so we could kind of slip in for the anthem in one and uh, then leave to make the rehearsal of the next one for the, <laughs> for the anthem. And that was really fun. Uh, little introduction to a lot of different traditions that way. Um, so, so now I think I'd, I'd love to sort of continue your story into your adventure into architecture. And you told me that you early on knew you wanted to be an architect. Mm. And I think that's so interesting. So just tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. Well, um, actually it was uh, fifth and sixth grade, I think, um, Somehow, uh, I ended up being allowed to, maybe my mother was desperate, I don't know, but <laughs> we started spending afternoons at least once a week in the library, public library. And um, uh, pretty soon, um, I ended up in the arts and architecture section, which was the, one of the grown-up sections of the library, you know, I think they sort of smuggled me in there or something. Uh, but I just loved the pictures, the books, and um, at the same time, this was a hotbed of urban renewal in, um, in Boston, mid-century, you know, post-war uh, building boom. Unfortunate, there's an unfortunate side effect of a lot of neighborhoods along with that. But at the time, architects and architecture were in the news all the time and on the radio, I mean, the uh, TV and the newspapers. And um, so that really influenced me to uh, I just, uh, I was pretty good at math and I was pretty good at music and art, but I wasn't good enough to be, <laughs> I didn't think, I didn't think I could go into any of those careers individually, but architecture was a beautiful blend of those things. And I just, I had a neighbor architect who gave me a, uh, uh, told me to look up Corbusier and gave me uh, one of the, the books. And that just, that plus the library section really um, hooked me. And I just decided that's what I wanted to do. And I didn't care that I had uh, some people telling me I couldn't do it. I had lots of other mentors telling me I could do whatever I wanted to do. And uh, so. <laughs> and so you, you went on to RISD, which, are, which is where I believe you had the opportunity to meet Doug. Correct. And, and did you immediately think about architecture in connection with your faith? Or did that sort of evolve as you did different projects um, through your career and, and saw the interplay between faith and, and architecture? That's a really good question. Um, I, I think I was always really interested in people respond to the spaces around them. And uh, of course, each different uh, kind of architectural project has its own uh, needs. So people have to interact with it in some way. It has a function, you know, has some function. What really got me started in architecture and uh, worship space was um, sitting in First Church and uh, something Martin Copenhaver said, I can't remember what it was now. Um, maybe he said something about the words on the back of the pulpit. You know, they used to say, uh, they used to say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. <laughs> I think Jean Andrews changed that, right? She took the sir off. But that idea that um, part of a preacher's role was to try to help people imagine, um, the, imagine the sacred, imagine Jesus or whatever. 
And that got me thinking about, wow, well, if, if that's the case, oh no, I know what it was. It was um, come to the table because all are welcome. And yet we sat still and, <laughs> and people, and it came to us, you know, um, that was, I think what it was. But I started to think about the relationship of what we're asked to do in worship or the words say, um, but, but we don't always seem to do, so to speak. Um, and then I started listening more carefully to the words, both, especially of the words we sing, because words tend to stick with me better if I have an image to put with them. And a lot of times music and the words of music um, blend together to, to give me something to hang it on to. <laughs> um, but I started to think about how important light is in worship space and, um, and, and in general, light in general, you know, especially those of us living in the Northern climate. Um, and of course, light is often in scriptures, often a symbol of the spirit. So um, mm -hmm. anyway, uh, I'm probably wandering way off task. Have you worked with many churches um, or I know you've worked with First Church, but have you worked with other churches and in what uh, way? Yes, quite a few by now. Um, uh, the, uh, my, the first church experience actually, church design experience was an invitation to join the Architects Fellowship or at least go to one of their meetings. This came out of the blue from a, a letter from somebody we didn't recognize from the national setting of UCC. So I immediately turned around and asked Martin, I said, what the heck is this and who's this person? <laughs> but anyway, uh, it was an invitation to go to Phoenix and have some uh, dialogue and uh, we came home from that, and I think it was only a few months later, um, we were driving skiing up to Smugs, and the church in Jeffersonville was burning. And uh, it was just heartrending to see, actually, that bell was clanging away as the steeple was burning. Um, but anyway, um, I called them up, uh, I think later that week, and I said, there's this thing called the Architects Fellowship, and um, and you're a UCC church, and is there some way I can, uh, you know, help or just talk with you or whatever? So I did that, and then um, six months later or so, they called me up for an interview, and I ended up getting the job to rebuild the church. So that was the first. Um, then I was working with Charlotte about the same time. The project there came along. A lot of my church work has been um, things like we all worry about, like accessibility, um, updates, structural damage, keeping the belfries up there, <laughs> the steeples up there. Um, so that, and that's been really, uh, that's been really interesting. The worship spaces, the, the more I've done it, the more I get to work on actual worship space. And that's the thing that really feeds me. Um, and it's where I feel like I have the most to contribute uh, to the church. I, I gave Lucy some pictures, but she probably won't have a chance to get them up. Um, most recently, I finished a little church, a new church in uh, Canaan, New York. And, uh, oh, here, here you are. Can you all see it? <clears throat> see them? So Canaan, if you're looking at all eight pictures, the Canaan church is the fourth one in on my screen. It says number seven. I think that's the only. Yeah, I picture. know they're pretty small, but yeah. But, uh, describe it to us. Okay, so so you see, it has a 
has these uh, lines of light that come up the walls and then up the ceiling, across the ceiling. <clears throat> so the church, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but, th but this church is very small. It has a real uh, outward mission focus for the community. It's, there's like no place to gather around it. And, um, and it is landlocked. They had to build exactly on the footprint or they wouldn't be able to build on that site again. And they wouldn't get their insurance money if they didn't build on the site. So it's exactly the same footprint as the old church. But out of that footprint, we, we carved a square um, sanctuary, a gathering space that functions as a community space. They call it the gallery cafe. And there's a big porch off of that for people to, for them to serve coffee to groups in the community or just run a cafe. The road to get to the end of the Taconic Expressway goes right by it for all of us coming from Vermont to New York City. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and there's also a little kitchen and all that stuff. Um, but it was really fun project to work on because they didn't, did not want to do something traditional. They wanted to be, you know, whatever the, it is of their time. So I was completely free to suggest stuff, different ways of looking at it. And because their site was so small um, and so hemmed in by other buildings, we ended up with the focus being that big window you see that's like a four-leafed, um, it's almost like a flower. If you can see that in the middle. Um, and that's just a giant uh, com composition of the same shape that the existing windows were in the church that they, that burned, that they replaced. So that, that's like the top of a Gothic window. Um, oh, there's another, Lucy, I got a full page. That's a different one. <laughs> anyway, so that was really exciting way to get, to get light in that. Oh, and there's also a clear story above that. So that was the way to get light into a really small hemmed in space. This one that's up now is in Wolfboro, New Hampshire. Um, and, uh, and the light comes in strongly from big windows on either side, daylight. Uh, but because they want to do projection and things that's set up in the future uh, for where the drapes are that are on either side of the cross so that the light from the windows won't uh, wash out the projection or the uh, television screens, whichever they decide to do. An important thing to them, of course, was bringing the chancel forward into the um, seating. And they had a church, the sanctuary before we had to take it down for structural reasons, had, had these curved pews. So we were able to reuse those. And that kind of suggested the curve on the front. So we don't need to look at all of these uh, individually, but there's usually a quality of light in each one um, that tries to help the worshiper engage in the sacredness of the space. Um, this is the Zen Center in Shelburne. And uh, they have a practice where you, they don't want any distractions, so they meditate facing the wall. <clears throat> or the one, folks that are really practiced can meditate sitting, uh, facing across the center here. Uh, but light is obviously important, um, but no direct windows to the outside. so interesting to see the different examples you've been able to really um, apply principles of light and and faith in so many different ways it looks like um, yeah and you know light does light um, as a representation of or a uh, suggestion of the sacred does not have to be from above this particular the zen center does have a lot of light from above um, but so often people assume that you know uh, 
the spirit or God is above instead of um, what I like to think of is that the spirit is around within all of us and um, we just kind of need to key into it. So I don't like to think that light just comes from above. I think um, mm -hmm. engaging the, the uh, horizontal dimension is also really important. Well, well, speaking about that, sort of some of your philosophy, some of your beliefs, um, many of us struggle with our faith and our beliefs in times of difficulty and struggle. I think you've, you've had a sort of a lifelong journey of just developing a sort of a philosophy to life, an, an attitude to living. And I wonder if, if you might share a little bit about that. You, you got into it a bit with this piece about light and faith just all around us mm -hmm. and living in it. But talk a little bit more about when you think of what faith is for you, what does that mean? What was the last part when I think about faith, what? When you think about faith, what does that mean to you? Oh, to me. Um, well, I think I have to kind of go back to my grandmother a little bit. Uh, that idea that uh, um, uh, God is not the reason or the God is not the creator of the problem or, or the, or the uh, bad time um, for me. This is speaking for me. Um, but uh, so God is not the cause of the problem, um, but God will, has been with me as I walk through life. Um, I can't say that I've faced the, uh, so uh, the challenges or the, to me, it doesn't feel like the degree of challenge that so many people have. Um, and uh, I probably will have in the future. Um, but I really, uh, I've always turned to God when there's been, uh, when I felt like I wasn't um, adequate parent, you know, that's where I would turn. Um, oh my God, help me do this the right, you know, help me not make a mistake here, you know. <laughs> um, and, uh, or when I feel like I made a mistake, <laughs> uh, help me fix, help me fix this or at least help me not to make it worse. You know, that's really what it is. Um, but I've always felt that um, that uh, God was with me, that I, or the spirit was with me, that I wasn't alone. And, um, mm -hmm. uh, and that it, this, that spirit could appear to me in any way or may not appear at all, but the people around me have, have uh, that have risen to help in times of need have been a part of that I've seen. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I'm just thankful <laughs> for, for that, for sure. And the first church community. So maybe extend what you were just saying. Yeah. Think about how the church community has fed you, has given you energy over, over the years. Uh, I think by uh, having so many examples of how to live lives of faith. Um, and I have to tell you, I shared with Amy before um, we were talking, when we were talking, um, uh, you know, I had, Doug and I had young children. we both grown up in UC churches, had great experiences in youth group, that kind of thing. Um, so it was natural for us uh, to think about a UCC church. And um, we had our first child, Kyle, baptized in, uh, at Doug's church because his family was still very active. And the minister, talk about a curmudgeon 
pretentious kind of guy, but at the time he gave us this lecture, which I mean, I, I thank him for doing it, but he gave us this lecture about, now you don't just have the baby done. <laughs> I want you to promise me, I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for Doug's parents. You had to promise me you're gonna go to Burlington and find a UC Street church. I know there are at least two of them up there to check out. <laughs> So, and we, we took him up on it. Um, first night, we went around to lots of different churches, actually, <laughs> but uh, decided on trying out uh, First Congregational first. And um, were welcomed uh, by everyone that we had contact with um, and ended up there, here. <laughs> and uh, um, one of the first experiences, though, was uh, uh, that really solidified it was a new member class. And uh, I mean, I want to check this out with Mike Nauer because he and I and Doug were in the same class. But uh, I think I think that's what it was. And Jean Andrews was leading the session. And she sort of stopped mid session mid sentence with some kind of uh, issue. I'm not sure what it was. Don Mosier, if those of you who might remember him, uh, was a leader in the church at the time. I don't know whether it was president or head deacon or what, but I was just so amazed that he knew just what to say and how to help her and not put her on the spot or make her feel awkward. And uh, it just left me speechless that anybody would have the empathy to know what to do at a time like that. Um, and uh, uh, anyway, I, it was just wonderful to see. Uh, and I have to say, I see Mike sitting there behind Lucy. He doesn't know it, but one time I was following his car, him driving his car down, I think it was Willard Street. And there was some kind of altercation at an intersection. And I looked for a place to pull over, but there was none. But I saw Mike pull over, jump out of the car and help this person. And I, <laughs> I thought, wow, <laughs> he knows what to do too. <laughs> So those are just two examples of people that have helped me, um, examples that have helped me learn maybe to think more about other people, less about myself maybe, <laughs> I'm not sure. But, um, and there've been so many people at First Church that um, have been mentors and uh, just people I really appreciate and love, so. Well, when I think of people giving back to the church, volunteering, I just think of you and Doug because whether it's fixing this or thinking about what to do with the roof or, you know, just everything you've been involved in, um, you give so much of yourself. I know you do the same for the Lyric Theater, a lot of, a lot of places and, um, Maybe my last question will be about just service and why, how, how you feel called to serve like that. Mm -hmm. If there have been people that have influenced you in addition to your grandmother, or maybe your grandmother was really the ultimate person that really got you going. But when I think of service, I think of you, Anne. So what, 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 what drives you um, in that regard? Um, boy, I don't know. Um, and thank you, that's... Not <laughs> <laughs> those are really nice compliments. I appreciate that. Um, I guess those that can do, I mean, you know, uh, helping with the building, those are things that Doug and I can do. Um, you know, we kind of tend to understand the problems. We can see some of the solutions 
we understand the realities of finances, you know, um, but um, it's, it's something we're able to do. So we're, we're certainly willing to. Um, and, uh, and things, things like that, uh, you know, if the church had to pay for all those things, uh, it would be, well, it'd be impossible really. Um, so, so being able to, and not afraid to climb a ladder or climb up in the belfry, which is a real adventure. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, that's, in a way, they're fun things for us because it's a beautiful building. It's beautifully built. Um, uh, wonderful craftsmen from the, you know, those chestnut beams from the 300-year-old chestnuts that we'll never see again. You know, I mean, those are special. How it was built, trying to figure it out um, and trying to keep it standing. Uh, but, but that's not all. It, I mean, that's, that's only the physical presence of the building. The church is so much more and the people, it's the people that animate it um, and the spirit that, uh, that we feel a presence of there. That's, that's really what it's about. Well, let me open things up and see if any of you might like to unmute yourself and make a comment or ask a question, um, say something to Anne. <laughs> So Anne, this is Patty Thomas. Um, I went to um, Methodist churches mostly um, starting in like junior high, high school. And <clears throat> to be in a congregational church, it's been just a few times until last year, maybe a couple weddings. So what was the uh, plan or the idea to have the pews, you know, cut off for four or five people instead of long ones that you can come out at the other end. <laughs> uh, well, you know, originally, uh, first church here in Burlington, the building that we were in, the 1842 building, um, originally those were box pews. Okay. And, um, uh, I think they were made into slip pews about the same time the, the same stained glass and balcony were added. I, I could be wrong on that, but I think it's around that time. Um, when they had box pews, they used to rent them. That's, that was the traditional colonial way. Um, and, uh, and I guess they gave up, it must have been before the Civil War, they probably gave up that practice. Um, so what is a slip pew? That's a, that's a pew like we have now. Okay. Yeah, you slide you can, sideways. You slide sideways, okay. <laughs> As opposed to a box pew. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and the reason they're, they have that Partition down the end, mm -hmm. down the middle. It's just to help hold them up. Really, this uh, church is a big enough scale. That if I want to use the room, um, the pews would have to be supported in the. So by tying them all together with that division, it's a little less obvious. Makes it so you can't pass through, but then you wouldn't be climbing over so many people. So many people. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I, like Amy, think of all, every time something goes wrong, there are you and Doug fixing it. And, and you're right, we really couldn't, we couldn't afford it. <laughs> and it's just been amazing how much of your time and how grateful I think everyone is for it. 
it's it's an important gift <laughs> well i'm i'm glad that we can we've been able to to do what we've been able to do you know there was a time when the sexton would have done all those things they would have been uh, a retired carpenter or something like that um but and probably still good on ladders <laughs> the last few folks we've had in those roles have not been actually for as long as i've been at the church really they haven't been able to do the ladders um but you know uh, i am hoping that we'll be able to pass some of that on to next generation more people are getting involved if you remember when we put this the um belfry back um uh you remember we uh we took had it taken completely off and then brought it back and uh it was rebuilt and brought back but when we did that not get around to replacing the uh, uh, corner acritarium. If you if you look up at the top of my picture, see those two things up there, right up here. See that? Mm -hmm. I think you see them. They look like wings. Anyway, those are what sits on the bottom of the on the top of the square part of the bulk of the belfry. So we did not try to have the steeplejack do those because it was going to be very expensive for him to hand carve them. Um, but we were able to find uh, a uh, Amish craftsman in Pennsylvania who had a new CNC machine and he was willing to give it a try. So he made them much less expensive and actually hand delivered them. And uh, we put together a crew of guys. It was all guys and me from the church um, and borrowed a bunch of harnesses and things from uh, J.E. Morrissey, the contractor. And, uh, and we all roped in and we installed those things ourselves. And uh, it was just an example of, uh, you know, a bunch of people getting together and, and I think a little confidence that, yeah, we can do this <laughs> and putting those up. So, so it's a lot of fun. But more and more we'll get, you know, people have been jumping and helping. So. Great to see. So. John, I don't know, John Floyd, were you a part of that crew? I think you might have been. <laughs> I mean, I'm mute here. Uh, no, I, I was not part of that. Part of that um, I would have had, I would have enjoyed the heck out of it. Yeah, it was fun. I, I, I have to ask you, did uh, Morrissey provide you with their insurance policy too? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, and the harnesses and stuff did not have their label on them either. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Jeannie was nice about that. Um, and uh, we figured that we were covered all right with the church policy. But we were careful. Nobody outside the round part of the belfry without a harness on. And roped in, not just the harness had to be tripped, they'd be roped in. <laughs> <laughs> and I can probably show a few more of your photos. Oh. Um, but I, I was I was hearkening back to the first time I remember meeting you, and uh, it was at First Church, and you were making a presentation about a vision of changes to the sanctuary. Oh, <laughs> I probably made enough enemies then. <laughs> Last one. I just thought, oh, this place is interesting, and who's that? <laughs> who's that young river snapper architect? And. Uh, it, I mean, that, that particular conversation probably started before 1984, 85, whenever it is, you know, I, I heard about it. Um, but I just want to say that you have in, in so many different times 
when there have been challenging changes, you you have adapted mm-hmm. and adjusted and and not been someone to say, oh my goodness, that we did it this way. You've really uh, seemed to embrace change. Can you just talk a little bit about your attitude about change? Well, nothing, nothing stays the same. You know, it's really, think about what Trump did. Um, I think a lot of us have an image of, uh, you know, the church we grew up with. Or, like, we have this image of my grandmother's church, which probably is not all accurate, right? But it's a memory or it's evolved memory. Um, but I think um, just like people evolve, change, their ideas evolve over time. Um, institutions do, organizations do, and uh, certainly churches do. Um, so the idea that, I mean, there are now, some some churches are museums. I mean, they've decided that they're going to be a museum and that's it. Uh, the Round Church in Richmond, you know, it's a lovely church, but it'll never have a living congregation in it because it it's a museum. It's great for weddings, but it's a museum. Um, uh, but uh, a living church is going to be evolving and changing just like any other living organism. And um, so long as we believe that it's a living organism, then... Um, it's easier to accommodate change, I think. Now there's change for good reasons, and then there's change just to throw the bath out with the bathwater, and that's not, you know, there's a happy medium. The other thing is that just like in uh, in life, in history, and everything, uh, if I want politics, if we don't uh, if we don't uh, honor the past, understand the past. Um, then we're uh, at risk of, you know, whatever in the future or the current. So respect for the past is a piece of that too, especially with a beautiful um, gem that that comes from our, from our past. We need to respect it as we uh, allow it to evolve. So is that helpful? Kind of. <laughs> Yes, and while other people are asking you questions, I'm going to see if I can share the screen with a few more of the pictures. Oh, okay. And I won't talk about less people. And uh, it's James. You were involved with the Breezeway, weren't you? When they that whole center section. Sorry, James, I couldn't quite hear the beginning of your con- your question. The midway. The Breezeway. Yep. Yeah. yeah, Doug and I worked on that together. Um, the um, that was actually a pretty easy solution. <laughs> the idea that the old door had no uh, weather vestibule and that it was impossibly difficult to get out of the sanctuary um, and come towards coffee hour. Um, it was kind of a, a logical solution. Um, the uh, idea of bringing the old windows out to the new wall kind of helped keep the look of the church by providing while providing new space. There actually, Janice uh, Clements, right, remember, there was a plan to um, do a second floor for pastor study, which would have put them, studies, which would have put them on the level of the elevator. Uh, but we didn't get a chance to do that. Yet, yeah, maybe we will in the future, you never know. <laughs> Sometimes what goes around comes around, you know. Yeah. Is there anybody what? else that might like to say something? Can you see the picture that I can see? Can you? Yep. Share about that a little bit. 
Uh, sure, that is one of the side chapels of the um, Catholic Church in uh, Randolph, just off the highway, going down, if you go down towards Randolph Center, uh, sorry, to the center of Randolph, down the hill. <laughs> um, they moved out of a crappy little 19th century box, wood box that was in the center of town and uh, had a pretty nice site. So we were able to take advantage of a lot of light in there. Mm -hmm. And they really wanted to use their old windows, which were small versions of this shape um, window. So we used the old ones and we incorporated this new one to go with them. The light is beautiful in it. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. I like to see this church when it's lit up at night too. It looks very, very lively. Mm -hmm. Sometimes churches look dark, you know, uh, kind of gloomy at night because the lights aren't on inside. Mm -hmm. right. Can you show us another one? Um, so I'm not, does that mean you can, can you see this lobby area? Not yet. Not yet. It's, uh, oh. Now we're all back. <laughs> yeah. Okay. By the way, it's very different working for wow. um, <laughs> Very different working for the Roman Church because it's all uh, the leadership makes all the decisions. The people are not involved in it at all, which is very different, of course, than us, where we have to have everybody has to be involved. Um, this is a fellowship area that's adjacent to the new chapel that I worked on at uh, the Wellesley Congregational Church in Massachusetts, and you can see they have uh, they're right next to the graveyard there. Uh, it's colonial era. And um, we basically extended out to where there had been a porch and um, uh, turned the shape of this fellowship space into more of a square as opposed to this long skinny space. So it's much more engaging. Behind the picture taker here are several glass doors into the new chapel. So, Lucy, the storm is upon us, Lucy. I don't know if you're getting it, but I think it's possible that we may get some interruptions with service. And I'm thinking it's about five and four. Yes. That maybe yeah. we should probably close it down and let's hope that all this darkness and lightning is going to do something. I don't know what. It's right over my head here. It is. <laughs> yeah, you can, <laughs> see, see, you can see that in my face. The lights changed from above <laughs> me to just my light. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it is getting dark, and um, and you know, the storm is here. And thank you so very much. I've written down who is here, so I'll send you each a little zipped folder of Anne's architectural photos, and I'll copy her, so you can send her questions or comments. Uh, just the, the use of light in them is beautiful. And also, I took photographs at Sally May's uh, ordination at the Jeffersonville Church, so I'll, I'll throw one in from there too. Um, as th that really exemplifies how you use light in my mind. Yeah, the light comes, light comes to the prompt. Thank you, There's thank a you so very much. And I just want to do a quick in closing prayer to just um, be so thankful for the, the gifts and the blessings of, of them and being... Just, I'm just so thankful for the gifts and the, and the blessings of having, having you in our community and um, on, a, on a wider scale to just be thankful for this time together as we're all still spending so much time on, on our own um, and just the beauty of sharing stories and being together.
and I would lift up prayers for people of uh, Minneapolis um, and and people all over our country and throughout the world who are who are suffering and um, and just dealing dealing with huge issues. And I just would invite you to hold hold people in your heart as um, they deal with pain and fear um, during this time when now racism is being held up equally with the pandemic as a crisis in our country and world. And we can all gather on Sunday for the Pentecost, the birthday of the church. Wait till you see what is planned. Um, a beautiful, beautiful service is coming together. And then we have our annual meeting. And we're supposed to have many, many, many people on Zoom. So say a prayer for that <laughs> to go well. So God bless you. Thank you. We'll be back next Friday and uh, watch the church communications for some details about that. Take care. I'll well. be in touch. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Thank you, Anne. Thank you, Amy, so very much. Yes.